1: With LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2.
2: Hey
3: guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for the ride, as always, is Holly Jolly, TJ2, the deuce. Okay, see that one was really good. What did you do that was different?
4: Uh, well, apparently I shook it up because it just spewed all over me.
3: Jeez. you not record that and just use it as a stock sound, like every time we
5: start the episode.
4: Just- good <laughs> God, there's, oh there's beer everywhere. But what what backfired on you? And it's it's it's. Is there anything sadder than wasted beer? Frankly, I feel yeah. like I should get down and lick it up off the carpet. <laughs> Let's see. I've never had this one. I'm going with the first snow ale from R.J. Rockers. It's a spiced winter ale. So I'll probably either absolutely love it or think it sucks. I'm not sure which. I I personally am
3: a fan of winter ales. All right. And sitting by my side is the jingle jangle man himself, Mr. Will the Thrill. Greetings and salutations. Ah, that was juicy. Two good ones. Oh, yeah. It it must be Christmas. It's going to be better
4: for a few reasons. One, L.D. That sounded like you you stomped on a roll of bubble wrap. That
3: was great. have that. (laughs)
5: L.D. remembered to introduce me, and we had two good beer cracks. Yes. We're off to a good start.
3: (laughs) Let me just explain something to you about last week. And by last week, I mean for us last night. Power of editing, guys. Will got both his booster shot and his flu shot. Yep. And so he was a mess, Travis was exhausted, and I, for some reason, spiraled into the inability to speak full sentences. So if the edit's a little choppy from last week, it is my sincerest apologies, but we're so much better tonight because it seems like we've almost got our 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 stuff together. I have rallied.
5: <laughs> I don't want to say the vodka in the OJ did the trick, but I am much better today than I was yesterday.
4: Well, I mean, you had that. What you did there was you mixed uh, fruit juice and vegetable juice. Uh, it's very healthy, um, the way I look at it, and that's probably what helped.
5: It's a power combo, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he he passed out last night. Oh, we yeah when we stopped recording, I, I think did we eat? And then I just yeah yeah passed out. I had a bite to eat, went to the bed, and just gone.
3: So we do have, unfortunately, one passing that we have to note at this point, which is. One of the founding members of The Roots, uh, Leonard Hubbard, known as Hub, was the basis for the group. And he's been battling cancer since uh, 2007. And his wife actually came out with a statement that said it happened quickly. He didn't suffer a lot. So, you know. He was diagnosed in 2007?
5: Yeah. Oh, my God. It was
3: kind of like Norm Macdonald.
5: Yeah. Similar. Yeah. Neil Peart, too
3: yeah I mean, it's super quick and you know oh my goodness so you know ugh, it's it's dealing with cancer is one of the worst things because of the uncertainty and so you know it, either healing fast or going quick i think are the two best outcomes
4: yeah, he had it for 14 years yeah
3: that's that's well there, there
4: may have been periods of remission in there probably True. you know you'd you, yeah you, uh, I, I you would rarely hear of somebody actively undergoing treatment that you know for quite that long but 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 maybe he did i don't know but that's that's a very sad law
3: yeah and they were the the house band the roots of the house band for jimmy Jim Fallon, Fallon, right and tiny instruments tiny
5: yeah, instruments uh-huh. yeah the, the classic yeah. Instruments.
3: yeah ah it's just a bummer it is you know but
4: um i have i have two things i would like to mention um one i can uh now report that rj rocker's the first snow ale is delicious nice that would be the first thing. And the second thing is, I hope that everybody by now has had a chance to hear the interview that Will The Thrill and I did, actually that I did, Will push the buttons because he didn't feel good, uh, with Elliot Landy. <laughs> yep. That was, what, what a, a, well, first of all, very gracious, but super interesting guest he was.
5: Yeah, the, the stories were amazing.
4: Well, first of all, I like it when you, when you and we've only had just, I think, two or three guests since we've started doing this. Um but he was coming on to pitch his book and the Kickstarter for it. But you could tell that once we started talking to him, that wasn't his priority at all. He just he wanted to be a good, gracious guest, and he answered every question that we had for him. Um, we talked about hippie culture and Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix and Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Ah, uh, I, I guess that's and, the one. But but just and. Pretty much anything we asked him, he was, he just went with it. He even went with our silly Manfred man. <laughs> <laughs> he was that good of a sport. So um, he's got a great book coming out about Janis Joplin, Elliot Landy, dot com. You can get the details on it. hundred and something, um, never before seen pictures that he took over. Uh, back in 68 and 69, including some at Woodstock. And he it Really, we thought he was cool and very nice. On top of that, the book looks awesome. So everybody, please go check that out if you had not already. And I
5: believe he's selling prints as well.
4: Is that correct? I, I think so, yes. Yeah. And I think if you throw into his Kickstarter, which it's already ended by the time you're hearing this, and he actually, I think, had, he went ahead and did the interview despite the fact, I think he had actually reached his target. <laughs> oh. Which, which says which says something quite nice about him uh, on on top of everything else. But uh, yeah, I think if you if you do that or did that that you got a discount on prints and things like that that he did. And some, there's some other uh, kind of perks for that. But anyway, just go go check that out, especially if you're a fan of Janice Joplin, because the few pictures that I saw that he had posted on his social media look amazing.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm very excited when when I got the initial outreach, I was like, you know, we don't really do this, but there was like a tickle in the back of my head that was just like, go ahead and do this. And so I unfortunately couldn't make it because uh, we're in the process. I, I j- literally just wrapped the show that I worked on and the hours were just insane. If for anybody who works production knows like the hours are crazy. And so I'm I'm sorry that I missed it, but luckily I get to hear it in edits. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it.
4: Well, when we when we said uh, yeah, sure, we'd, we'd like to talk to him. We did so not knowing that he was the official photographer of Woodstock.
5: Absolutely crazy, yeah.
4: There was one photographer allowed on the stage, and it was him. It's amazing.
3: Do you care to tell the people before we jump in? Before this becomes a slap nuts episode, can you jump in and just tell the people at home? The fever dream of a text you sent me the other day, because <laughs> yeah. I had to read it three times and I couldn't figure out if you were drunk or not. Yeah. So,
4: and I did send that to you like ridiculously late at night. What time was it? Do you still have the text?
3: Let me see. Uh, I do have the text. No, you sent it at seven fifty one my time, so it was right. almost eleven. Mm-hmm.
4: Almost eleven my time. Yes. So, um, it, it's late. I'm chilling, contemplating going to sleep, sitting in my recliner with my feet up, just just, I think, I think watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation for the 17,000th time. (laughs) And, um, but I'm scrolling through social media and I pass a post by the Chester Historical Society who runs the Chester History Museum. For those who are are not aware, um, and, but if you've ever listened to the show, you should be aware at this point that I am the editor of a newspaper in Chester, South Carolina, population 30,000 in the whole county. So it's, it's, it's a very small, mostly rural county, uh, and we're the only newspaper uh, that is present in, in much of any form there. Uh, super uh, newsy and interesting place, but a, but a very small place. So imagine my surprise when scrolling through social media, I see this post from the Chester Historical Society, and it's a picture of a gentleman who had visited the museum Wearing an, a black LA ball cap and uh, uh, like a black hoodie, sort of a jacket, bearded fella, and I was kind of looked down. I was like, yeah, "He looks vaguely familiar. It must be some local guy I know." But why are they? Why are they posting a picture of him? And then I read the caption, and here's what it said: Davy Oblin, musician from Los Angeles, a member of the rock band Corn, came to visit the museum today." <laughs> I, I can't imagine a more random in the in the weird history of the weird world i don't think i i've ever been more flummoxed by member of corn visited the chester history museum
3: i take that I can't just with the idea i had i was not it's just i just what 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 uh. i have seeing that post
4: i have so many questions A, why was he in Chester? Well, first of all, hi, welcome to Chester. What the hell? (laughs) Secondly, okay, if they play a gig in Charlotte or something, and he's just tooling around. Now, let me—I want to see the area. Get out and get out from the city and just and just see stuff. Okay, some people do things like that. I think Neil Peart did, uh, from what uh, Will told us in the that episode last year. Mm -hmm. So I, I could see that, but then it's like you ended up in Chester. And then you ended up in the museum. And it's not like this is the Louvre (laughs) or something. I mean, it's a lovely museum, but it's it's mostly artifacts from Chester County about Chester County, relating in some way to Chester County, South Carolina. Why in the hell is somebody from (laughs) corn looking at it? I was I didn't even know I had no clue what to do with that once I looked at it. And then I, sent it, then I sent it to LD, and I don't think she was able to sleep because of it.
3: I, I don't think I was. It, it was just like, why, why? Why? What was he doing? Who does he know? Who does he know? Why was he there? What's happening? Is anything real? What is life?
4: To, to, tie, there, it, to tie it back, because I know we have to proceed with the episode, but to tie it back to uh, the movie I was watching at the time I saw that post, Eddie, I wouldn't be any more surprised if I woke up with my head sewn to the carpet.
3: Accurate all right well moving right along uh let's, right. let's start yes. this let's start this episode before people start to question our morals <laughs> um <laughs> so you guys remember where we left last left off yes it was sad well it's gonna be sad for a while all right it's gonna it's, <laughs> like, it's not It it doesn't get better <laughs> <clears throat> um this episode so When we last left, just to wrap you guys up, uh, Catherine had filed for a divorce and then resigned that to Joseph. Uh, That was like the big thing that happened was that she had finally figured out that Joseph was cheating on her and that he had a a mistress. Well, I, I don't know what the difference between like cheating and having a mistress. Is a mistress like long term? I think it's implied that, yeah, with a mistress, there's like a more ongoing relationship, I think. Okay. so he had like a a a quote-unquote girlfriend i guess that that he got pregnant and she miscarried and then the women would call the house and like tell catherine about the 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 relationships that they were having with joe and things like that so she finally uh side you know uh, went to file for divorce and then she reneged on that she or she what do you call that withdrew she withdrew the papers. So we're actually going to jump a little ahead in time to 1974, and I know I, I hope in this episode that we actually get to Michael Jackson's solo career. But I don't think his solo career started in 1975, so this is actually just going to cover two years. This is taking forever. There is so much life in this man's life. Mm-hmm. I just, I you know what? What's funny is I was thinking about. It, I was like, if I wrote a book about my life, I don't remember anything like i remember my marriage to you a couple christmases with ut and then that one time that david showed up at like eleven thirty 30 with a 72 case of beer i remember that and that was it that's like that would my book would be three sentences long and he slept under the coffee table if i'm yep. not mistaken yeah he fell asleep under the coffee table without his pants on <laughs> I recall. Is that what you remember, T? I thought that
4: happened out there. Is that when he peed in the litter box? Oh, that's
3: another Yeah, incident. yeah, that's yeah. another incident. He peed in the litter box out here.
4: <laughs> that, that incident with yeah. you Dave is actually the first yes, uh, the first time yeah. I, I, I met you guys. There was a there was a lot of there was a lot of life in Michael Jackson's life, and there's apparently not a delete button on LD's keyboard. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why would you and say then, that? And then Michael ate a bologna sandwich and took a nap. And then he woke up. <laughs>
3: It's not even that. That was that was that was the month of Mercury, where it was like, and then he, and then he went to Chipotle and got a bean burrito. Had Chipotle then? Then he walked to the left. (laughs) Um, so in the winter of 1974, during a family meeting, Joseph made an announcement. They were actually going to play Las Vegas. Now, for some reason, Jackie got it into his head that if if you played Las Vegas, that meant that you didn't have any hits and you didn't have a future. Now, you actually- well, why,
4: why did he think that? Is it just because-
3: I think in the past- one? like what? In the past, it was more of like people whose careers was behind them. Now, if you look, you got people like Celine Dion, you got Britney Spears, John Legend, Adele, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry- All those people actually were in residence in Las Vegas. And it's interesting
5: you mention that because around that time, someone playing there that you all know was Gary Wright. I love Gary Wright. I know, Dreamweaver, right? And the interesting thing is that fall, Gary Wright had actually composed an album, The Good Earth, which was a release by Manfred Mann's
1: Earth Band.
2: (laughs) Ladies
4: and gentlemen. Manfred Mann fairly mandated reference of the podcast has been
5: satisfied. <clears throat> <laughs> Did you sneeze, fart both.
3: Yeah. <laughs> he just fell off the earth. <laughs> was
4: that was that skeevy? I keep I keep that trying to really, make it real skeevy. That was it was quite skeevy. That
3: was skeevy. That was very skeevy. So Michael actually had a very different view. He wanted to play Las Vegas because he thought it was a part of showbiz tradition. Because remember, by this time in 1974, you've got the Rat Pack that was kind of blazing through. And so he wanted more than anything to be part of that tradition. He said years later, when we're calling his first Las Vegas engagement, ever a fan of Seven Davis Jr. Since the age of 10, it was it was really important for him. And uh, if you guys remember, when he was on the Diana Ross show, the Hollywood Palace He actually got to work with Sammy Davis Jr. because Sammy Davis came out and did that cute little bit beforehand. So uh, he was always a fan of Sammy. When it was confirmed that the Jackson 5 would be opening up in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand, which at the time was the newest and most prestigious hotel, Motown was unimpressed. The top brass at Motown said that if you decide to do this thing, you are going to be on your own. And later, Barry telephoned Joseph personally and told him that he was making the biggest mistake of his career. Barry was genuinely afraid that the Jacksons would fail in Vegas. Wow. To make the family show unique for Vegas, he actually, and this is Joseph, followed the pattern of the Osmonds, the group that had brought their younger brother, Jimmy and sister Marie for their Caesars Palace engagement. And that one went over incredibly well. So not to be outdone, Joseph brought out Latoya, who was 17. And Rebby was expected to perform, but she had actually sprained her ankle. So her debut was postponed a couple months till June. So seriously, he wanted to pull out the entire family. And hmm. at this time, the new additions to the Jackson 5 were not overwhelmingly talented, but their presence did add an overall family feel and sort of a gloss to the show. So at this point, like the whole family is playing in this. It was Catherine's idea to have Randy and Janet do an impression of Sonny and Cher and Mickey and Sylvia. And if you guys don't know who Mickey and Sylvia are, they do the song Love is Strange. It's in the movie Dirty Dancing, you know? Oh, he played that for me, yeah. yeah the mm-hmm. Love is strange. Hey, yay, yay. Love yeah. Hey, I a lovable
4: <laughs> and with the other version, I
5: don't know how you wouldn't recognize it. It's just, it's like they're here. It's the,
3: we also did like four different parts <laughs> of the song.
4: And all of them it's fantastic.
3: <laughs> it's the horrible. Just drek. We suck. Yeah, we're terrible. Merry Christmas, kids. <laughs> all right. So Latoya enjoyed the tap dance routine to 42nd Street. The problem was that she wanted to do solos. But... The author of the book that I was reading put it very sweetly, that <laughs> said that she had limited vocal talents. That's polite. And she wanted to have the spotlight. Uh, Joseph told her that she was allowed to. All she was allowed to do was to mouth the words of the songs when all the groups did the singing, but which meant that she'd have to like pretend that she'd say, she was lip syncing, uh, and she didn't like that. But she didn't have a choice because what did these? What choice did these kids have? You know. But apparently, she was good at tap dancing. So there's that. Yay, LaToya. (laughs) We call for that
5: in in Vegas shows.
3: (laughs) (laughs) On the stage at the MGM-Gram, they had this huge orchestra sitting behind the Jackson family on opening night, which was April 7th, 1974. And it was a bigger orchestra than most people needed, but they also added an extra rhythm section, which happened to be Motown's rhythm section, to help recreate that familiar Jackson 5 sound from the records. They had these, and this sounds like so 1970s cheesetastic, but they had these bright and colorful uh, firework patterns that would burst across this blue backdrop as they mm-hmm. appeared on stage. It just seems so like Vegas cheesetacular. I yeah, love it. it. it and although they had built a reputation on rhythmic music for Las Vegas shows, they did a variety of styles, and the presentation was really different so instead of doing all these different dance sections which you know they would do when they would appear on shows like the Ed Sullivan show or you know any show that they'd appear on they would come out and they would they would do a dance routine with their song this one was different because they would sit in stools side by side with Michael in front of the mall and according to the biographer of the book, The Magic, the Music, the Whole Story, Michael Jackson by J. Randy Tarabinelli, their outfits could be best described as a mariachi band mod. Oh, jeez. Um, the waist-length jackets worn over ruffles, white, opened-neck shirts were reminiscent of those that were draped in strolling Mexican musicians. And that is verbatim from the book. Wow. I... <laughs> It was said the Jacksons would redo the medley, and I'm going to kind of run that down right now. So this is the, the medley that they would do each night. That began with Tito strumming on the guitar, and he played his solo instead of singing it. Then it was followed by Michael doing a rendition of Roberta Flex Killing Me Softly. On the last line, he would turn to Jermaine, who sang a gentle version of Glenn Campbell's By the Time I Get to Phoenix. Midway through that number, Michael and Jermaine harmonized the chorus The music then segued into Danny Boy, which was a great choice for Jackie's falsetto. And then Marlon joined in and sang uh, as well. And by all accounts, it was a beautiful arrangement. Outside of Killing Me Softly, I don't think I would have picked any
5: of those songs to be performed by the Jackson 5.
4: No.
3: No. But when Michael would have his turn at any point in the show, it was clear that he was a star. And it wouldn't come to a shock to anyone who's been listening to this podcast. He's always been sort of looked at as this genius like the one with the talent the star spinning in his little sparkly top he's saying i want you back abc and love you save and like all the rest so it sounds like this was kind of um the medley was the covers and then they would do their own songs okay which seems about right for a vegas show you yeah. know for, for the
4: I've, and i've i've been to see people who do uh some little medleys of other people's songs i mean I, it's not unprecedented or anything it's just when you have that big a body of work already it just seems like you'd lean on that but i guess as long as as long as the crowd enjoyed it i don't guess it matters
3: yeah so the the vegas debut the family had pulled out all the stops and they came together as a family from a massively successful performance at the end of it they would join their hands and then the audience erupted into standing ovation night after night after night and of course their mother was the one leading the applause. And this is the part of the story that really pissed me off was because when Barry learned the Jacksons were enjoying a successful run in Las Vegas, he sent a contingent of Motown executives to the city to present an image of corporate solidarity behind the family. So after basically telling Joseph that the family would fail uh, and they would have no backing from the label, when they became successful on their own, he was like, oh, yeah we totally trusted that they were going to be awesome we knew, we knew they'd be successful i mean that's and that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the jackson talent so it's just it just irritates me that 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 gordy was spinning this web backstage after the fourth night of performance joseph read a press release to his family and the family felt betrayed that is except for Jermaine, uh who made no comment about it because if you'll remember he was now happily married to Hazel, Barry Gordy's daughter. And for as much as we like Joseph, <laughs> uh, the fact is that he was the one that put it all together and helped make it successful. And all of a sudden, Barry Gordy is coming in and taking all the credit. So I kind of get why Joseph would be pissed off at this point. Yeah, for sure. That press release ended up in the trash. Hmm. In August of 1974, the family was booked again at the MGM Grand, but things started to fall apart. Album releases were becoming less and less frequent. They used to have up to three a year. And in 1974, there was only one, which was Dancing Machine. Two singles that were released at the end of the year were Whatever I Got, Whatever You Got I Want, and I Am Loved, We're not successful. And Motown canceled the release of Michael's single, dogging around Hmm. and the cherry on top of everything was that their mother discovered that joseph had been having an affair with a groupie that was from kansas
5: well sure you knew he was having affairs i mean she
3: knew that she was having affairs this one's worse okay she was 26 and at first she had been attracted to jackie and when he expressed no interest she turned to joseph which is weird. (laughs) It was rumored that this woman was pregnant. The thought that Joseph was having another child with another woman was so upsetting to Michael, he couldn't perform. It wasn't upsetting that Joseph was cheating on his mother. It was the fact that Joseph was hurting his mother. You understand the difference between that? Like if, if Catherine was able to separate her feelings against Joseph, it wouldn't have hurt him so much. But the fact was, He was at this point, because this woman was pregnant, was now hurting Catherine. Joseph decided to call a family meeting, but because he was so incredibly hurt, Michael decided to boycott the meeting, and his absence did not go unnoticed. So Joseph went on a little field trip to find Michael and eventually caught up to him on the casino floor, and Michael started to run. So they're in the middle of a Vegas casino? They're in the middle of a Vegas casino when all this has happened. So they tried to call a family meeting in one of the rooms, like one of the hotel rooms that they were staying at, the MGM. And he caught up with Michael on the casino floor and he just started dipping in and out of pits and trying to hide in aisles of slot machines. Joseph finally caught up to him. And here's a firsthand account by someone named Steve Huck, who was a Jackson 5 fan who went to go see the show who was actually staying in the casino at the time. I remember it like it was yesterday. Michael was dodging his father all over the casino, hopping around like a jackrabbit, trying to outrun Joseph. Joseph, you listen to me, he demanded. And then he grabbed Michael by the arm. I had no idea what was happening or what the problem was, but I could not help but watch. Huck recalled that Joseph spoke softly and rapidly into Michael's ear, and Michael listened, but his face was completely blank. Then in mid-sentence, he seemed that he shook himself free, shoved Joseph, and said, don't you ever touch me again, you hear me? Michael's voice could be heard above the slot machines. People in the vicinity started to stare and then like slowly began to recognize who this was, and they started whispering among themselves but nobody came forward nobody tried to stop it and people were in absolute shock Stephen was he said that he sounded hurt when he shouted like an odd sound like a wounded animal and joseph was shaken he actually raised his right hand as if he was about to strike he backed up two steps and then michael ran off through the casino it would be years later until he would actually learn the truth about his father's affair and about his half-sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I mean, could you imagine, like, this This would be, a, it sounds like a scene out of a movie. Like, this megastar is doing their show and all of a sudden, like, two of the major players in this family start up screaming at each other. Joseph goes to hit him. It's insane. <clears throat> like, in public. Like, that's that's what, it always seemed like he kept any of his abuse at home Mm
2: -hmm.
3: not so much out into the open so this was like they seriously like out of a scene from a movie it's crazy um and in the winter of 1974 jackie decided that he was going to marry edith spam he had met her at a birthday party for hazel five years earlier when she attended the same high school that she did she was just 15 and jackie was three years older wow And of course, there was a prenuptial agreement. She and Jackie had barely started dating because of the family's power. That came in real quick. So like she decided that she wanted to date him. And then all of a sudden, like lawyers swooped in. Hmm. Their attorney decided to take preemptive measures and met with her, telling her that if she did marry Jackie, that she would have to sign a prenuptial agreement. Let me tell you something, the teenager said to the lawyer. When I marry Jackie Jackson, which I don't think will ever happen now, if I'm signing that marriage license, isn't that good enough for him? You know what? Tell them I don't need them and I don't want them. And another thing, I wouldn't talk if I were you because you're the one that's living off their gravy. I'm like, girl, you're 15. Yes, yes. (laughs) Mm. Eden recalled that she was completely turned off by the Jackson family. When I told my mother what happened, she was upset. It was a mean thing to do to a 15 year old. After that, me and Jackie did not hit it off. I thought he had something to do with my conversation with Richard. However, when I finally told him what Richard said, he got angry and he said, how dare they say that to you? They were married in a small private ceremony in Jackie's room at the MGM Grant. And I don't think Joseph liked Ena because he suspected that she had ulterior motives for marrying his son. But again, she wouldn't sign a prenuptial agreement. And he also felt that she was too outspoken and independent. And that would be a problem. Mm. There's just so many things I don't like about Joseph.
5: (laughs) There's not much to like at this point, to be honest. You know
3: what? The only things that I like about him were that it, when it came down to money, he had his family's interest at heart. That is literally the only good things that I can take away from this. And like yeah, years it. later, Michael will forgive, for lack of a better term, his father. Hmm. And we will get into that in part 182 of the <laughs> Michael Jackson story. The thing was, Joseph actually forbade Jackie To marry her and in marrying her he felt like he was defying his father and as a manager joseph did do his best like i was saying but as a parent he was making huge mistakes with his children by holding them so tightly and that's one of the things that he would pay for dearly in the future thing was he was unable to separate himself from father to manager he treated the children the same way he did his business associates that he negotiated by pounding his fist on the table and being the loudest in the room and his Mm. behavior was beginning to frighten his wife and his daughters and he would emasculate his sons <laughs> jane fonda recalls that michael said that he would run down the hall and slam their bedroom doors when they heard that joseph was coming home yikes
4: hey ld hate to interrupt your uh 37 part episode on michael jackson but we do need to take a quick commercial break
0: fair and we're back that cold case you're listening to nasty stuff but you know what else is a crime Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's d-r-i-z-l-y.com today.
3: Awesome. Let's jump back into Michael Jackson. In January of 1975, Motown released Michael Jackson's fourth solo album, Forever Michael it was not as successful only peaking at 101 on the charts so because we haven't had one in a while let's take a small break for a, a lovely little song called cinderella stay a while from forever michael We are back okay <laughs> uh, yeah
5: well vocally it sounds more like the michael jackson i think we all know
3: yeah but musically i you know what i don't know if looking back at it now it's bad because it's bad or it's <laughs> bad because it's not we have like it's not the sound that we like
4: Could be. oh no <laughs> i'd, it's I'd say it's
3: not bad because i'm bad i'm bad oh, it's not okay. the song bad oh, wow this is that weird gap between when he's a child and when he comes on the scene with you know the wall it also sounds very dated yeah that's another thing and and musically it's not very complex no and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of thought put into it now this is the point where joseph decided that he wasn't going to record any more solo albums for gordy because in his words that man was going to ruin michael oh jeez I mean, yeah, and the fact is, like, Joseph was becoming more agitated by Motown's lack of promotion, and Barry's contingent that the group didn't have any potential to write or produce their own music. Because at this point, they're working with producers, they're working with writers, they haven't been able to write their own stuff. Mm-hmm. And Gordy is, if you'll remember, working on things like Star Vehicle's Mahogany for Diana Ross. Like he's not worried about the Jackson Five. He's not really promoting them, and he's working on films now. Like this isn't music isn't his priority at this point. So, uh, for Michael, in an excerpt from the book Moonwalk, he states the problems for Motown began around 1974. I told them in no uncertain terms that they wanted to write and produce their own songs. Basically, they didn't like the way that their music sounded at the time, and they felt like they were in danger of being eclipsed by other artists who had a more contemporary sound, which I feel like if you do listen to Cinderella's Day a while, that is a perfect example of, you know, is this falling into the past? Hmm. Are they now kind of living in the past? Motown told them that they couldn't write their own songs, but they had to use songwriters and producers. And they were—they not only refused to grant their request, but told us that it was taboo to even mention that they wanted to do their own music. I really got discouraged and began to seriously dislike all the material that Motown was feeding us. Eventually, I became so disappointed and upset that I wanted to leave Motown behind. And that is a direct quote from Michael in the book Moonwalk. Michael was the brave one of the group. Now, this has kind of been the standard. If you'll remember, he was the only one that would fight back. At Joseph when he would attack. Mm -hmm. Like he threw his shoe at his father. So it was only natural that he would speak up to the brass at Motown. The group was miserable, but nobody wanted to say anything. So Michael arranged a meeting with Mr. Barry Gordy. And he was the one that wanted to have a say over Jackson's and they were going to leave Motown. We went over to see him and it was the most difficult thing that Michael ever had to do. And basically he stated that if he was the only one that was unhappy, that he probably would have kept his mouth shut. But everybody was miserable. Nobody was happy. And so he felt like he needed to say something. And the meeting wasn't out of a lack of respect, because remember, he loved Barry. He thought he was a genius. And he was one of the biggest people in music, period. Mm-hmm. And again, taking inf- information straight out of the book, Moonwalk, Michael said, Barry was talking out of anger. And that was a difficult meeting, but we're friends again, and he still feels like a father to me, very proud and happy about my success. No matter what, I will always love Barry because he taught me some of the most valuable things that I learned in my life. He is a man who told the Jackson Five that they would become a hard part of history, and that's exactly what happened. Motown has done so much for so many people over the years that I feel fortunate to have been one of the groups that Barry personally introduced to the public, and I owe him an enormous thanks. My life would have been very difficult without him. And we all felt Motown had started us, supported our professional careers, and we've all felt that our roots were, and would always lie in Motown. We were very grateful for everything that he had done, but change was inevitable. I am a person of the present, and I have to ask, how are things going now? What's happening now? What was going to happen in the future that could affect what happened in the past? It was time for a change, and so they followed their instincts. You guys remember in episode one where we talked about how uh, Joseph signed that. Contract?
5: By a contract contracts being signed by early artists, yes.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah, let's talk about that. Oh, no. The group who had first signed with Motown in 68 cited for a reason leaving that they were only receiving 2.7% royalty rate for each record sold, and that they were not allowed to, to record or produce their own songs. And, of course, Joseph being Joseph had to get in the last word saying that if we stay at Motown, we lose, and we're not losing. Hmm. this man's all about winning winning motown countered back with a breach of contract suit and eventually won the rights to the name the jackson five remember that whole (laughs) we have the rights to every iteration of the name yeah we own you like (laughs) literally every way that you could possibly spell the jackson five jackson five um the number five the number five the five with the heart all that was under motown the group changed their name officially to the Jacksons, in 1976 when they made their self-titled epic debut later that year. But Jermaine, who had married Hazel, I will keep bringing that up, decided to stay on the Motown label as a solo artist. Randy, the youngest Jackson brother who had been performing as a part of the stage group since 1972, officially replaced Jermaine. And Marlon became the replacement for Jermaine's vocals, and Randy took Michael's job of the bongos. Jermaine, who was the one brother who stayed at the Motown label, when his brothers moved to Epic, always credited Motown for originally being a Black-owned and operated company. I think in the past, a lot of pioneers had been victims of that because there were shady contracts. These record labels, they did these recording contracts to their advantage, and the artists sold the records, but really got robbed back then. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> have you not been listening to our podcast, 1970s for Jermaine Jackson?
5: Virtually every artist we've covered
3: falls into this category literally no one has been showered with cash like this isn't i I, you know like in the middle of this episode i'm suddenly having a realization that we might have a bummer podcast
4: yeah kinda (laughs) (laughs) well i mean there's yeah people get there's people getting screwed financially about two out of every three episodes Mm -hmm. and somebody dies at the end of every single one every (laughs) one yep and
5: that doesn't bring up the relationship issues the substance abuse issues the Accidents, the just parade of misfortune that befalls these individuals,
3: or the clowns. Yeah, the clowns. Yeah, I just had that sudden epiphany and now I'm depressed. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. I've bummed you out for almost three years. (laughs) We apologize. I am so sorry. Mm We hear rock and roll heaven apologize for bumming you out. Michael clearly remembers the first show that he did with the family without him because it was so painful. And I quote Since my earliest days on stage and even in our earliest rehearsals, in our Gary living room, Jermaine stood at my left with his bass. I depended on being next to Jermaine. And when I did that first show without him, there was no one next to me. I felt totally naked on stage for the first time in my life. So we worked harder to compensate for that loss with one of our shining stars. Jermaine, I remembered that show well because we got three standing ovations. We worked hard. And around that time, Jermaine left things were further complicated because they had to do a replacement TV series during the summer. And it was something that Michael hated. Mm-hmm. So if you guys don't mm-hmm. know about the process of releasing TV series, is that, that typically they did have a TV season. Like a it started in the fall. Mm-hmm. And it would run through and then you would hit reruns. And it usually had like 13 episodes to 26 episodes. And then they, you would go into reruns and then you go back into the fall with brand new episodes. Now, if a show wasn't doing well or something happened and a plug got pulled somewhere, you would have what was called a summer replacement show. And that would be something that comes in with like five to 10 episodes as a replacement. And if it didn't do well, it got canned in the fall. It got replaced with something. Mm. Or if it did really well, they would back build And in the season early, And then start in the fall and you'd have a new season of that that summer show that would get picked up. Hmm. But Michael hated it because he loved the old cartoon because he could wake up every Saturday and he could look at the TV. And he wasn't really doing a whole heck of a lot of work, but they were they were producing the songs and other talent would do the voices. Uh, But he hated doing this TV show because it felt like it was hurting his recording career rather than helping it. For the Jacksons, the Nielsen ratings controlled their life for week from week. And it was one of the most stressful moments in their career. Michael swore he would never do it again. And from my understanding, he never has. He never did another TV series again. And it's because of that show he actually turned down even hosting the Grammy Awards and the American Music Awards because he claimed he wasn't a comedian. He wasn't a host. He was a musician. But despite that, the show had sloppy lights The choreography was rushed. And Michael had misgivings about him being anything but a musician. Somehow, this show was a hit. Hmm. As soon as they announced that they were leaving Motown, Joseph and his attorney, Richard Aarons, began scouting for a new record deal. First, and I I should step in really quick. This is future Lindley looking at past (laughs) Lindley's work. They're still technically with Motown. Got it. They're still under contract. They haven't, like, bunny ears. They haven't left Motown yet they've left Motown in their heads but they haven't done anything to actually take steps to leave Motown but they're on the they're on the hunt for a new record deal Mm -hmm. and they met with Atlantic and their chairman was unenthusiastic about the Jackson 5 because of their inconsistent record sales in recent years Joseph was actually more interested In CBS anyway, most of their acts that were contracted into the Epic subsidiary of CBS were renowned for their excellent record distribution and promotional network. Hmm. They make Motown look sick, Joseph said, and Epic was interested in the Jackson 5. Joseph was also attracted to the company's profitable relationships with Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff. Those guys were the producers of the so-called Philly sound that had generated millions of hits with groups like the OJs and the Three Degrees. Gamble and Huff had their own label at CBS called Philadelphia International. Joseph thought that it was too small of a subsidiary for the Jackson 5, but he did admire CBS's commitment to Black music. Of course, he wasn't doing this just for his sons, but he was doing it for himself because he thought maybe one day the company would award him with his own record label because, of course, he did. (sighs) President of Epic Records wanted to sign the Jackson 5 immediately. Walter Yekanov, who was the president of CBS Records, wanted to sign them immediately, who was skeptical. Walter was skeptical. He was the president, citing that they had not had a hit in a long time and they were doing their biggest thing. But Ron told him to trust him and that this group isn't finished yet. In fact, they had not even begun yet. And after a very neat, quick and easy negotiation, an agreement was struck that was one that Joseph would call a sweet deal. It is a good deal from what I understand compared to what they were getting to Motown or at Motown. The Jackson 5 would receive an advanced, known in the record industry as a sign-in bonus, Hmm. of $750,000. They would also receive an additional $500,000 from a recording fund, money meant specifically to produce their album. They're guaranteed to be paid $350,000 per album, far more than they were ever receiving at Motown. And at this time in 1975, an album would retail for approximately $6.98. So at Epic, the Jacksons would make approximately $0.94 per album sold in the U.S. and $0.84 abroad. At Motown, they made roughly $0.11 per album sold and no difference in the European rate. Oh, wow. That is a massive difference. That's insane, yeah. What blows my mind is that they were buying like $2 million homes on what uh... they were making at Motown. So how they must have been selling, like when you do the math on it, they would make eleven million. Is that right? I can't math. I'm. Um, you guys know I'm a crappy man. Anyway, they're going to make way more <laughs> at Epic.
4: Well, but they, oh, they right. be, but they would make money from other avenues too. I, I'm sure they were making it from from their shows, weren't they?
3: I assume that they were making it for their shows for the licensing because
4: they weren't they weren't making crap off their album sales. Like that that's nothing. You couldn't sell enough.
3: Right. Well, it's kind of like the TLC deal. Hmm. Or,
4: or they were living well beyond their means. Now that,
5: thats
3: my suspicion. Well, also, like if you look yeah. at PLC, the they were making what eight cents an album, separated into the three of them. It nothing.
4: It was. It was. I, I think they all—they all finished their first big year. What, having made fifty thousand dollars or something?
3: Something like that.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I, I mean, either they're living way beyond their means on credit and borrowed money and things like that, or they did well enough on the road to be able to afford that.
3: Yeah. Cause they're also it, getting it, paid they, because stuff.
4: what they made from album sales wouldn't make, they, they couldn't buy anything.
3: Yeah. I'm assuming it would be merchandise licensing tours plus the album sales plus like the TV shows and, and their Vegas show. Mm-hmm. Which might've been a motivation. I don't know. I didn't find that anywhere, but like you would think, you know, Oh, if we do this Vegas show and they don't have any backing from Motown that all the profits go into their pockets. It's pure profit, yeah. Yeah. Michael was amazed by the contract to CBS that you know, they had offered the family. He had no idea that the group was worth so much. And this is the kind of contract that other superstars were actually accustomed to in the record business. He actually admired his father's tenacity because if it weren't for him, the Jackson 5 might have slid into obscurity in Motown. But because Michael was still torn because of his loyalty to Barry... But looking at the great deal at CBS, he decided to discuss the matter further with one of his very close friends, Diana Ross. Hmm. Her reaction was predictable. She said that she had no influence over Barry where matters of business were concerned and she wasn't lying, but that Michael should listen to him because he always knew what was best for his artists. I believe that the boys should stay at Motown, she recalled in a 1981 interview. I was loyal to Barry at the time, and I felt like he should be as well. I told Michael that loyalty was the most important thing, not money. <laughs> but six well, years later. Well,
4: I mean, if everybody's making lots of money, then maybe that's the case. <laughs> but, but when, when one, guys, one side's making all of it and the other is making almost none, then loyalty <laughs> kind of goes up. Ah. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, uh, just so you know, six years later, Diana would change her mind about being loyal to Barry Gordy and Motown, and she decided to check her value <laughs> over at other companies, and RCA offered her $20 million. Ooh. a little bit much more, you know, a little more than what Barry could have offered her. And then she turned to Smokey Robinson for advice, and Smokey gave her the same advice that he, she had been giving Michael about being loyal to Barry, but she felt that she didn't have a choice, and so she signed with RCA! <laughs> <laughs> uh cbs drew up the papers but there was a fight to come Jermaine said that he was not signing the deal what joseph said was think about the money Jermaine. and Jermaine countered it's not about the money for me joseph stated well you you will sign this goddamn contract or you'll be sorry cbs says that the jackson five will be the next beatles and you know we have been working for you know that's what we've been working for. But Jermaine said he didn't want to be a beetle. It's okay. I don't want to be a beetle either, Jermaine. They have weird hair. Uh, Jermaine was so angry at his family that he could not wait to get home to break the news to his father-in-law. So he actually pulled over to a payphone and called Barry. He told him that his brothers had signed the deal with CBS. I bet they have already signed the contracts. Barry wanted to know if Jermaine had signed the contracts. And he told him that he had not. I told him I didn't sign and that I wasn't going to. He told me to come by his house, which I did. We talked it out. That night, he became a second father to me, a sensible father, a real father. Barry told him that he was on his way to the top and that he could be running Motown one day. And that's really what he wanted. He wanted to be the president of Motown. And he knew that he could. So that day, he made a choice. That day, he decided that he was going to stay with Motown. And leave his family behind. Huh. The group's first epic single, and remember, I told you I'm I'm jumping around at times a little bit. Uh, but their group's first epic single, Enjoy Yourself, turned out to be their first top 10 hit in nearly three years, peaking at number six in early 1977. Really? Nothing? I I tra- TJ. Yeah. I, I even wrote, I wrote in the script pause for a sex joke from my brother for what okay uh, let me read this again the group's first epic single enjoy yourself huh uh
4: yeah. that's a softball right there Jeez. yeah too easy <laughs> <Just like you. laughs> too easy just like you
3: wow <laughs> Wow. All uh, right. we go to the song? Yeah, let's just go to the song. All right. We're going to listen to Enjoy Yourself. I'm disappointed in you, Mr. <laughs> Jenkins. <laughs>
5: First thought was what we were discussing during it was that seventies didn't know how to end a song, and this is no exception. I do not. Yeah.
4: That is saying a, enjoy yourself seven or eight hundred times. Exactly. Um, I, I would say that that um, Michael's vocals are a saving grace.
3: That is that is a two and a half minute song in a three and a half minute song's body. <laughs> yeah.
4: I, I would say I would say that um the saving grace is Michael's vocals. He 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 bails that song out because. Otherwise, it sounds
5: really, really
4: dated and time-stamped and repetitive, uh, in a lot of ways. But now, vo- vocally, he kills it. I mean, it's, it's, oh, sure. it's oh yeah. He does. I mean, his his vocals on that are tr- fantastic. But the song itself is not real good.
3: <laughs> Honestly, like his vocals kind of freeze at this moment. Like his vocals from this and his vocals. From Billie Jean, are almost identical. It's mm. like that's where his voice settled, and it is. It's so good, and I think this is like the one because if you if you listen to Cinderella Stay a While, like he still kind of sounds a little bit pubescent. <laughs> is that the word? He still sounds kind of young, and this is where his voice settled.
5: Yeah, it, it, there's a more of a maturity in his voice in this one, and in Cinderella. Like you said, it's, it's not quite there yet. There, yep. are, there are
3: shades of it, but it's not quite there yet. And I know, T, you couldn't see the video, but we were watching it. And the thing is, it almost looks like Michael lost invisible weight. Hmm. He looks joyful again. He looks happy. They're doing like these little funky dance moves because it's the 70s and that's what you did. But like, hmm. he just looked really happy performing with his brothers. So, you know, it, it, it seemed like this was a good change. But leaving Motown was not as easy as you think. In the last week of June 1975, Barry Gordy's vice chairman of Motown telephoned Joseph with a bombshell. He said, Motown owns the name the Jackson 5. The group could leave Motown, but they'd have to leave without the name. What are you talking about? Joe said. We came to Motown as the Jackson 5. That's my family name. But if, called, if you'll recall, in the first episode, we talked about how Motown owned any derivative of the Jackson 5 and that they could change any member if they wanted to. Those That's are like true. the two big stipulations that we talked about. And here's the, the messed up thing. Mike Roshkine told him flatly, the fact is there are probably 400,000 people named Jackson running around in this world. We made five of them stars, and we can find five more if we have to, and we can make them stars too. Oof. Wow and on top of everything off to ensure that the company had ownership of the name on march 30th 1972 after the the first string of hit records with motown they actually applied to the united states patent office to register the logo the jackson five under the name the jackson five and the jackson five where the five is replaced by or the s is replaced by a five hmm. and then also like pushing the five up against uh, the N and any kind of derivative. They did a ton of different logos and register. And that wasn't an uncommon practice that Motown would actually file for patents and register the names of their acts whenever possible. The company had done it with the Supremes and the Temptations and a lot of other artists over the years. I told you guys, Barry Gordy is a very shrewd businessman. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to protect himself and he knows how to protect his business. Michael said that we don't have to have the Jackson Five name, do we? I mean, can't we just be the Jackson family or the Jacksons? Joseph recalled that they might not have a choice. Made him sad to lose the name because of all the work that they had put into it. You know damn well they ain't going to use it, Tito said. It'll just be wasted. And he was right. Once Motown claimed the name, there wasn't much that they could do about it other than market old products by the group Hmm. because the fact is at this point the jacksons are superstars if you try to put more jacksons into the spotlight people aren't going to take nicely to it like that really can you guys name a band that constantly switches their lineup that is just as successful as they were in the beginning
4: no not 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 multiple changes
3: yeah yeah maybe one
4: here or there but
3: well, yeah. Well, like, the Grateful Dead still played after they lost a few of their Skinnered. members. Skinner. Skinnered, but had they already hit the Heights at that point?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: And I mean, once Left Eye passed away, TLC still does TLC, but they, they don't try to replace her. Like, you just can't pick a... Let's just pick a band. Pick I a think, band. I think the only exception
5: here I'm going to throw this one out is Deep Purple okay they changed everything Maybe. yeah yeah we I mean, were still well still I mean, maintain success
4: there there were i mean some bands make a change of at lead singer at, at whatever but lots of wholesale changes there there aren't a ton that have that have done that successfully at all well, there already, are some that so exist continue to tour and people go see them as kind of a jukebox legacy act or whatever but actually continuing to be like commercially viable and putting out new music there. I can't really think of many.
3: I know it sounds weird to bring this up, but great white, mm, they weren't actually what you were seeing was not when, when the station fire happened, the band that you were seeing was not great white. You were seeing great whites lead singer. And I think their bass player and then everybody else had been replaced, but again, they weren't out there to hit records.
4: Well, well, for the longest, yeah. For the well, for the longest time, You could go see, I'm going to make big old air quotes, Guns and Roses. And it was, it was, it was really Axel and Friends.
1: Mm,
3: Foreigner.
4: It was Axel and a bunch of other guys who were never in Guns and Roses.
3: And then, you know, another switch that happened was Journey. Yeah. They got rid of Steve Perry. Well, there
4: there are bands that have, right. There are bands that changed Mm -hmm. their lead singers, you know, Sticks did and continued, and Foreigner did and continued, and Journey did and kept going. And well, then you have, uh, you know, a couple of bands like Queensryche fired Jeff Tate and continued. And at that point, I'm not sure why you would, because um, that's pretty much why I'm going. And then, because I mean, Jeff Tate's one of the one of the best vocalists in rock history, in my opinion. And I, I know right. Will's a big fan too. Oh yeah. Um, and But my favorite one ever is that all the guys from Dire Straits, aside from Mark Knopfler, <laughs> continue to tour as the straights. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't buy that one. Yeah. Hey, hey, talk, yeah, buy a ticket for that. Talk about money for nothing, huh? Oh, oh,
3: the boy. Jackson family oh. got their decision. <laughs> yeah, no, Mark, Mark
4: his brother and the drummer, and it's like, okay, but the guy who's the lead singer and the, the memorable lead guitar player isn't there. So, yeah.
3: nope. <laughs> well, the Jackson family announced their decision to leave Motown at a press conference at the Rainbow Grill. For this conference, 10 high-backed black chairs were arranged behind a long, narrow table on a dais. And if you guys don't know what a dais is, that's a stage. That's a 10-cent word right there. It's a rock me right? Yes. <laughs> You're fired. That's all I got, really? I thought that was good. Basically, what happened was, they, they, made this, they made this press conference very somber and very serious. One of the reporters asked the Jackson family why they had decided to leave Motown. We left Motown because we look forward to selling a lot of albums, Tito answered. Motown sells a lot of singles. Epic sells a lot of albums, Joseph said. The reporter asked Michael Jackson, who was really the star of the group, how he thought the move would affect him. And he said, I'm sure the promotion will be stronger, Jackson said. A reporter asked Mr. Jackson how the move would affect the family's relationship with Barry Gordy. Jackson smiled and said, you take it as it comes. Uh, The reporter did ask if the Jacksons tried to renegotiate the contracts with Motown. And he said, sure, we tried to renegotiate, but the figures were just Mickey Mouse. After that press conference, Barry Gordy filed a lawsuit against Joseph Jackson and the Jackson Five, Seeking $5 million in damages for signing with CBS before their contract had expired. Joseph countersued, claiming Motown owed the family royalties, unpaid uh, unpaid advances and expenses. Okay, by the terms of the contract, the Jackson Five were liable for the cost of all their songs that they had recorded for Motown, including the ones that weren't released. Now you guys remember what we were talking about that in episode one. You guys remember when we talked about that in episode one, where they could record a hundred songs release three and they would only be paid for those three even it took them months and months to record those songs didn't matter didn't matter yeah,
4: and, and and joe got a concession in terms of how many years were on the deal but got absolutely <laughs> rolled on the financial end but yeah. thought he won somehow
3: yeah because joseph always thinks that he's got to win and he can't see the forest for the trees. So to say that Motown had kept the boys busy during this time was an understatement. Michael Jackson, the Jackson 5, recorded a whopping 469 songs from Motown in the six years from 1969 to 75. That's about 75 songs a year. I want you to think about that. They would record 75 songs a year while doing tours, TV shows, their own specials. Vegas and the talk show Circuit, and that's not including the time that it took to learn the songs and the choreography could you could you do that? Could you record seventy five songs in a year? That's insane. now of those
4: so so ba- I mean basically like a song every five days, pretty much yeah, pretty much yeah. of
3: those of those four hundred sixty nine songs they recorded, the Jackson Five only released one hundred and seventy five, which is about thirty seven percent. Out of those 469 songs, the other 295 songs were not up to Motown's standards since only 175 were actually released. Therefore, the Jacksons owed Motown $500,000 for the songs that no one had ever heard. Jeez. And that is according to their lawsuit. Oh my God. And even though Michael thought that Joseph should no longer be the manager because he had lost Jermaine he lost the band's name. And now they were in the middle of a battle with their former label. And the fact is signing with Epic could have been one of the best things that Joseph ever did. That was it. That was the only reason why he should have stayed their manager. Because think about everything that Joseph has done that he thought he was winning at that was actually being detrimental to the group's overall success. Because of his stubbornness, he had now lost Jermaine. He's lost the band's name they've lost a lot but he did really fight for them to get onto epic and they've got this great deal now um and because of that deal he is really glad because what could have happened to the jackson five was they would have been on an old ebook goodie review that popped up every now and then and we've been to some of those right t like a in south carolina our county fairs Always have them. Like, what's the beach band that always plays?
4: Oh, oh, god. Well, there's a couple. I mean, there's the
3: Shakers and
4: the Shakers and the Fantastic Breakers and the, you know, Sandy Thong and the Crab Cakes or somebody. I don't know. (laughs) I'm
3: pretty sure that we've we've made up at least one of those. But yeah, no,
4: like, uh, yeah, one one of those may not be a legitimate uh, real thing.
3: But uh, even now, like, Chairman of the Board. There's
4: a bunch of them like that.
3: Thank you, Chairman of the Board. Um, no, but like even now on tour is the new kids on the block mm-hmm. with Salt and pepper. It's crazy and yeah. in Vogue. Like sure even that's kind of like an oldie but goodie kind of thing because they're not really producing anything new now.
4: I've been to see um, you know the, the sort of nostalgia jukebox types, and stuff. they sound really good. But there's like one original member left. A, a foreigner would be one of them. I, I went and saw; they sounded fantastic. They have Nick Jones, and that's all. Huh. As far as original members go,
3: yeah, so
4: so, and then there are some that carry names you know i I know I've told the story before, but there was a, a friend of mine went and saw a band that built itself, I think as the the one and only original temptations, and two of them were white your idea- your definition of original is different than mine, <laughs> unless I've been lied to and misled my entire life. <laughs>
3: oh no <laughs> but again like he would be 40 singing songs like i want you back and abc to make a book which is actually something that happened to martha reeves who's still out there singing heat wave not because she wants to but because she had to she was a motown survivor so no matter what you guys might think of joseph as a personal manager according to tara Benelli, the final analysis is that man It would be eight months before the Jacksons were able to record for CBS. Even though we covered a little bit of that already, they couldn't record with the new label before the agreement with Motown was expired. So they'd have to wait until their contract ran out before they they could even set foot in a studio. And that's when they started to do their summer variety series that we talked about before, just to kind of fill the time and stay in front of. An audience, which Michael absolutely hated. And at this time, Michael was often asked about Jermaine in interviews, and he tried to stress that business is business and family is family, and he still comes over. He went on to say, We talked to one another, but we'll go different places. That's very important because. That's the basis of our whole organization, good friendship and strong family. The show business part is important, but even more important is that the family sticks together at all times. And I I guess you guys know that that's pretty much wishful thinking on Michael's part because the family members were drifting apart. Uh, Jermaine may have found some shelter in the arms of his wife, but other members of the Jackson family seem to be growing more antisocial. And I, I think we can all agree that is absolutely true. You know, if you look at the family, I know almost nothing about Randy. I know about Latoya because she had that phase where she was a psychic and right. she had a talk show. And like, for me, the only one that was like super well adjusted was Janet. She seemed to be. Yeah. At this point, Jackie, Jermaine, Rebby, and Tito were all married. And the family buried themselves in their Jehovah's Witness faith. And none of the siblings who were still living outside of the home were really taking part in anything. And the ones that were living inside the home were Latoya, Marlon, Michael, Janet, and Randy, who didn't seem to have any kind of strong relationships outside of their own family. Latoya actually went so far as to say that she didn't date because she didn't trust people. And to be honest, she had no friends and it didn't bother her. She said that when she got lonely, she would read the Bible. And that's just how they were raised. That's how they were. And like, if you think about it, this is, this goes all the way back to high school days for these kids, because they wouldn't make friends when they were in high school because they couldn't trust people because they were so famous that they didn't know why people were being their friends. If they were genuinely, if they genuinely liked them, or if they thought that they could get something out of them, it was like the Jacksons were being raised to mistrust all outsiders. When Jackie started having marital problems, David was, uh, Joseph was able to point to such discord as evidence that outsiders could not be trusted and he even filed for divorce in September of 1975. Nine months after Jackie had married Enid, Jackie and Enid would reconcile and they would remain married for 11 more years, but we will get to that much later. And then here's something else that added to this giant mix of what the actual hell is happening. Marlon dropped a bomb in January of 1976 that he had actually secretly run off and married someone four months earlier. (laughs) Jeez. He had been married for four months. When the group was appearing in Las Vegas, Marlon married an 18-year-old fan from New Orleans named Carol Parker. The ceremony took place on the 16th of August, 1975, and he did not tell his father. He didn't want to go through everything that his other siblings had gone through with the parents opposing the marriage, but he also didn't want to tell them that Carol did not sign a prenup. Oopsie. Yeah. Uh, Michael was hurt by Marlon's secret union, And he had thought that all of his brothers were closer than that. They had shared the bad times, but never the good times. He complained, I don't understand my family at all. And I don't like some of the things that the brothers do to their wives. I am never going to (laughs) marry. We will get to that, sir. Mm -hmm. Marriage is awful. I don't trust anyone enough to do it. People hurt each other over and over again. He said, I spend a lot of time being sad. I feel like I'm in a well and no one could reach me. And that is where we are going to end this week. <laughs> on another bright note. Yeah. 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 Just gonna keep getting lighter and lighter, kids, from this, this point on. Um, so uh, we'll do our socials really quick, but I do I did want to check in with you guys and see how are we? Are we safe? Are we okay? Are we in Wham Holly yet? What are the close calls that we've hit?
4: I've heard some remakes of it but I have not heard the original Wham version. Now, I'm going to. There's no way I can't because my wife listens to Christmas music. She has since they started playing it November 1st. When our alarm clock goes off in the morning, it's set to a station that's currently playing 24-7 Christmas music. Every grocery store I go in is playing it, every drugstore. I'm surrounded by it. Wham is going to get me. Andrew Ridgely is going to take me down. There's no way. (laughs) I will say this is about the longest I think I've ever lasted without hearing it.
3: Same. I mean, no, I've, I've won Wham Hall four years running. But uh, Will?
5: I had a close call with a virtual work function where someone had played the Hillary Duff version, but that does not count. Does so not. I am technically still on the board. Uh, I've had pretty good luck with it over the years. Save a few. If I'm going to get eliminated, I have a feeling it's going to be like, christmas eve moments before i'm in the clear but beyond that i think i've, I've had good wim luck over the years
3: um i am still safe this is my fifth year in the <laughs> running and i don't have good feelings i have i have bad feelings about this year i should say that we are recording this on december the 16th so i think we have what eight more days to make it, we have eight more days. Is yeah, that right? Christmas Eve, right? Christmas Eve. It mm-hmm. ends on Christmas Eve. Once you begin your Christmas Eve celebration, so whatever time that is, you are safe. Uh, what else? Um, so I, I, I have to ask, Travis, did you get your package from me yet?
4: I can't make uh, Don't think I have yet.
3: Okay. It's it's. I'm very there's...
4: much looking forward to it because uh, I've I've heard such good things about uh, the contents.
3: <laughs> I gotta tell you, I'm addicted to this T.S. to tea, and uh, I really want our listeners to try this T.S. to tea. It's not that like, it's not that we have the promo code or anything. But you guys, it's so good. I'm going to have my nutty almond tonight, which is like our relaxed tea, and it's so so good. And then the the uh, wild child blueberry was really really good. That was it's like a blueberry tea. And you wouldn't think that that would work, but it does. And it's amazing. So please guys, um, I think that, you know, it's probably too late to order for Christmas because this day is coming, this this episode's coming out, you know, two or three days before Christmas. So don't think you'll have enough time. But for a late Christmas present or an early New Year's present, you guys can absolutely go over to ts2t.com and place your order and put in Rock Heaven 15 at checkout and receive 15% off your order because guys at this time 2022 is rolling around it is time for you guys to live loose <laughs> the other thing is we actually bought the Brewmaster, which is this um concoction where you basically put the tea in you pour the hot water in and it will see it will it will steep it for you and then you just place it on top of your mug and it drains into the mug and it is so cool so we got that and uh and so it sort of circumvents the need for any kind of extra waste or bags. So we love it. So again, try ts to t put Rock Heaven 15 in at checkout and get 15% off your order.
4: Yes. And uh, one other thing, uh, I know you're about to give the socials or whatever, something new that we're trying now and we're, we're throwing it out there and we'd love some feedback. You may have noticed that we're, we all enjoy a beverage in the course of uh, the program l d s is never alcoholic actually it's 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 just t s to t now'cause yep. she is is so in love with that, but um we're going to tell you in advance what we're all uh imbibing during the upcoming episode, and the way we look at it is you can uh if we tell you like uh, you know if will tells you he's having whatever kind of beer and I'm having one, well, you know maybe you could go get one and you could have what we're having and it's kind of like we're friends having a beer together or something, or you could say. Hey, you know the the one the thing that uh, you're drinking, TJ, completely sucks ass. What you should be drinking is, and you can make recommendations or whatever. Uh, so it's just another uh, fun way to interact. But we're going to be uh, throwing that out. We, I think we did it for the last episode.
5: Um, we had a Facebook post, I believe. Yeah.
4: Yeah. When Will was doing like Nyquil shooters, <laughs> and um, I was I had a I think a thunderstruck coffee porter, and uh, LD had TS to t But yeah, with uh, just if if you've had. The, the beverage that we're having, you can tell us what you thought of it. Uh, if you try it along with us and say, you terribly misled me, this sucked, that's fine too. Or if you have a recommendation for something in particular that you'd like Will or I to try, because I mean, LD's just going to drink tea forever, yep. um, then uh, we'd love to hear that too.
3: Now, I have a question. Can you be friends with someone on Untapped?
5: Yes, you can follow folks on Untapped. You can. Yes. So there's
3: mm-hmm. this amazing app that Will found a couple years back called Untapped. And uh, he's been using it to keep track of his uh, alcoholic beverages. And it's the ones that he likes, the ones that he's have and the one that he has. And then you can also track ones that you've had, but you can't find anywhere. And it'll actually track your beverages. So if you're close to an area that sells it, it'll actually ping you and say, by the way, uh, take the black is at BevMo, which is the, the Game of Thrones, like novelty <clears throat> beer. And, and it pinged you to let you know that Take the Black was actually going to be at BevMo, so we knew that we could go and buy some. So if you guys want to be friends with Will on Untapped and share your beverages with him mm-hmm. and keep up with him that way, you guys can do that. I'll pass you off so that you can give them your info to be friends with you yeah absolutely and i just want to make it clear
5: that we are not sponsored by untapped but hey if you guys want to look us up we'd be happy to untapped.
4: You, you did you did once upon a time uh interview the guy that founded it didn't you twice
5: yes <laughs> yeah. yeah twice it is untapped u-n-t-a-p-p-d so just drop that e so untapped with no e And if you want to follow me, it's WillH3. That's my username. I got a lovely little picture of me sitting at a computer, done in the style of sort of the Major League Baseball logo. And you can see what I'm drinking. You can see what I'm looking at. You can see what I'm looking for. And we can share ideas. And you can have a beverage with
3: us, as TJ said. I'm just gonna drink tea. Thanks for asking, jerks. Hmm. They don't have any like unleafed. They might. Don't want that. Um, I wonder if they have like the wine equivalent, like uncorked. They, they do actually. It's they called do. Next Glass. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Fun. Yeah. Well, so that's one social that you guys can follow us on. We're actually going to be starting our TikTok next week. So the first TikTok video, spoiler alert, is going to be me openly weeping mm-hmm. over Mike Nesmith. And, uh, um, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't exactly know what our, our content is going to be, but uh, I will be the one that's doing... Will's going to be the one that owns the the TikTok because I actually already have a TikTok and apparently you can't have two TikTok accounts, which is totally fine by me because I have like 13 Instagram accounts. But anyway, we'll we'll add that to our social list uh, come next week. Come next well, actually not next week because we're actually going to be taking a break for the new year and we'll come back with part six of Michael. We're not even out of
4: the
5: 70s yet. We're not
3: even out of his teenage years yet. Oh my God. I never realized that it was going to be this much.
4: Yeah, we we keep making these jokes. I mean, like we're on pace for 20 something episodes on this. So if you could (laughs) if you could hit the gas pedal there, Chachi, we'd appreciate it.
3: (laughs) We made it past 75 today. We did. We did. Which is great because that's we've covered two decades so far.
4: Yeah. Are you going to put this baby on the runway or just keep circling there, Mabel?
3: I'm just going to keep circling. Just keep circling. All right. So if you'd like to support the show, uh, you can do so at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You can find us on Twitter at rock and roll LT. You can check out our Instagram at rock and roll heaven LT our Facebook, where we're having a ton of fun and all three of us really contribute. T is a big contributor over there. Uh, Mr. Hickey is the Instagram King. Uh, I do all kinds of the platforms whenever I can, but I'm still not saying our website. You can email us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com and you can check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And if you guys uh, would like a special gift for that music lover in your life, you should check out my movie themed candle company (laughs) called Sense Candle Co. And uh, that is on Etsy. And I will be posting that uh, in our show notes uh, if you guys want them because uh, we are making a move soon and i need to get rid of some of these candles so please go buy some candles because they're awesome and you're awesome and we're all awesome to close i'm actually going to play a song that is from the jackson vibes motown years because i don't want to spill the beans too much about their years on epic in this episode so we're actually going to close out with a song that charted very well and is also a christmas song because you guys the song's coming out a so couple days before Christmas, so Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas
1: episode, yeah. This is our Christmas. Merry
3: Christmas, everybody! Easter. It's exactly what Christmas should be: fighting with your family. <laughs> <laughs> uh so just so you guys know, like I said, this will be our last episode for the year. We'll be coming back in the new year to pick up on our 197 episode recap of the life of Michael Jackson. But for now, I leave you with Santa Claus is coming to town. Now. TJ, do you have anything that you would like to say to our audience?
4: I do indeed. On top of uh, wishing them all a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and Happy Holidays, I would like to say,
3: bye, everybody. All right. Mr. Hickey? Uh, I would just like to say
5: thanks for joining us. It's been an amazing year, and we have a lot to look forward to in 2022. Again, we hope to, by that point, complete the retrospective on Michael Jackson. We'll see where the time goes. Thanks for joining us. Have a drink with us, and happy holidays.
4: And yes, in- we have, he said we have we have something coming up in the new year. Yes. I think 52 more episodes about Michael Jackson. <laughs> and in 2023, we'll begin with <laughs> and in 2023, perhaps we'll get to the bad album.
3: <laughs> you think you're joking, but you're probably not. <laughs> yeah.
4: I think by about 2025 he'll uh marry Lisa Marie. Yeah. And, and, um yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be great. Uh, yeah. I, will Will and I don't have to write anything for a long time for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Like years.
3: Now that being said, we are actually going to have a retrospective on the, all the people that we lost this year and that will be coming out uh, very early in January, probably January 2nd or so. Um, And that'll just be a recap of all the folks that we lost because we did kind of pull the trigger a little bit earlier than we should have. And I think that we actually missed a couple very high profile folks at the end of last year so we are not going to be making that mistake we're going to let 2021 come to a close and then we will do our retrospective on everybody that we lost so with that being said ah, uh, from all of us here at rock and roll heaven all of you out there in radio land we wish you the happiest of holidays merry christmas happy hanukkah merry kwanzaa whatever Festivus is, whatever you celebrate, just know that we love you and we are so thankful that we have you guys uh, checking in with us every week. So be safe and rock on. And now we close out 2021.
4: And Hey, and just remember, the light at the end of the tunnel is probably a hundred more episodes of Michael Jackson.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) And so I'm going to end this episode with The Jackson 5 and Santa Claus is coming to town.
4: Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator.
3: Okay, so this bike says she is struggling
1: with her place in the motorcycle community. Well, she says she hasn't peaked yet,
3: but she's having a little epiphany, okay. Oh, that maybe life itself is the peak. Hmm, interesting. In my experience, I found that. No, so I just translate. Not allowed to have opinions.
2: Got it.
4: Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive
2: Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.